This morning we are getting into one of my one of my favorite passages in, in Proverbs. I like I like what the what Solomon has done, but I guess also the the men of Hezekiah who organized things. I, I like this passage that we are looking at in chapter twenty six. Uh, our focus this morning is going to be on fools and on the nature and the character of foolish people and how we should interact with them. Proverbs, in general, is focused on fools and keeping us from being fools. But this, this passage in particular, while it will give us, um, hopefully, encouragement not to be foolish people, it also instructs us on the nature of fools and uh, what will happen to us and what it is like if we have them in our lives and interact with them and try to help them. Uh, it's a series of, of individual proverbs, but we're going we're gonna to group them together and make something of them uh, thematically, you might say. So let's just go ahead. We're going to go through the 12 verses. We're going to take them a, a few at a time and really one verse at a time as we Pack each one and see what it's actually saying, because they are they are somewhat poetic, aren't they? Let's take a look at these. We begin in verse one of chapter twenty-six. Told like snow in summer, and like rain in harvest, so honor is not fitting for a fool. Uh, I I don't know, but I would love to have some snow in summer, but that's not when snow happens. That's not when snow comes. And so it's, it's not fitting for there to be snow in summertime. It's fitting for snow to come in the wintertime. But the other half of it, like rain and harvest, it's not just, it, it, rain and harvest isn't a, uh, it's not fitting. Rain and harvest is destructive. The idea of rain and harvest, harvesting is a time when you need things to be dry. You know, I, I remember talking to a cotton farmer once, and he said, you, you spend all your time praying for rain so it'll grow, and then you find yourself praying for no rain so that you can actually harvest your crop. Because if it rains when it's time to harvest a cotton crop, you will lose that crop. But it's not just cotton, even uh, just wheat. If you're trying to harvest it and just a little bit of rain starts coming down, it will mess up the harvester, and you have to stop immediately. Because as, you, as you're trying to, to harvest... Uh, it will gum up all of your works. Rain is not a good thing to have when you're trying to harvest. And in a similar way, honor isn't fitting for a fool. To, to give an, a fool honor is, first of all, uh, not appropriate. It's, it's, not a, it, it's like the snow in, in summertime. It just doesn't fit. A foolish person should not be honored, but it goes beyond that. If you do honor a foolish person, if you give them, and that word to honor means to give somebody wealth or weight. It, it means to be heavy. And, and so it, it's kind of the idea of gravitas. If you give a fool honor, if you respect them and elevate them, it will be destructive. And we can see that we have a, such a thing as the Peter principle, and it's not named after the Apostle Peter. But it's the idea that a person will continue to be promoted. I think it mostly comes from the military. But it's the idea that a person will become, can continue to be uh, promoted until they get to a place where they are incompetent. And then they will stay because they can't get promoted any farther than that. 
But the problem is, is they've been promoted to a place where they are incompetent. They can't do the job that they're in. And if you elevate a fool, if you honor a fool, that is what you're doing. You're taking them to a place that they do not belong. They have not earned it. And it will be destructive. And personally, I think we can see this in our Congress and in our Senate and in possibly our executive branch and even in the courts. There are fools who have positions of honor and we are reaping the destructive results from that. It is not fitting to give an honor fool, uh, a fool honor. Verse 2 doesn't mention fools. It kind of goes along with the same idea. Like a sparrow in its flitting, like a swallow in its flying, so a curse without cause does not alight. And what is the... First, let's just consider what is this proverb trying to tell us? And if we're thinking about these little birds, a sparrow that just flits around, or a swallow that goes great distances, but we don't see where they land. We don't see where they live. They, they go distances. So a curse without cause does not alight. So, so there's one way of understanding that, and that is to say that if somebody curses you but there was no cause behind it, if somebody says something to you, they insult you, well, it just, who cares? What, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't have any cause to it, so you just, it just goes flying right by you. You don't let it affect you. You don't allow it to uh, change you, or you shouldn't at least if you're wise, because it's not going to stick. It's not going to land. It's just going by. An alternate way of considering it, though, is so a curse without cause does not alight. We can, we can understand that in the reverse, which would mean that a curse that has a cause will hit home. A curse that does have a cause is going to stick. And when we consider it in the context of we're looking at fools, you know, you, you could say, okay, well, verse 2 is talking about that a foolish person is just going to throw out curses. They're going to throw out insults at people, but they, they don't stick. There's no, no truth to them. There's no weight to them. Or you could say that the curse of a fool is well-deserved. You know, that's, it's, it does have a cause if you understood it through the, the negative way. The idea, though, in, in, within the context is this pointlessness with foolish people. That honor is not fitting for a fool. A curse without cause does not alight. It doesn't land. There's, there's a worthlessness to it. There's a, an emptiness to it. And that idea is continued in verse 3. A, a whip for the horse... A bridle for the donkey. The, the horse needs to, to get it going. Whip it along. The donkey needs the bridles that you might direct it and guide it. And in similar way, a rod for the back of fools. A foolish person needs guidance. Rod, that word rod, doesn't just mean like you, to a stick you beat somebody with. A, a rod is also the word for a scepter. And even uh, the word tribe in the Old Testament comes from this because it's the idea of those that lead. So a rod for the back, now because we throw in the word back, that, that makes it pretty clear. No, just like you, you, 
you need the whip for the horse. But the rod has more than just the idea of punishment necessarily. But it's truly discipline and guidance. That a fool needs guidance, but not guidance of instruction, not guidance of showing, but no, on the back. You've got to force them in the right direction because of the foolish nature of who they are. The idea of, of instructing a fool is continued in the next two verses. Four and five go together. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will be like him. Do not answer a fool according to his folly. In other words, don't answer him in agreement with in appropriateness to his folly. We, we can have a, a thing where you have foolish people who, who say things and they act and they do things and they, they tell you things. And if we engage them as if they were smart or wise or true, then we will be just like them. We become fools ourselves by engaging with fools in their own way. Alternatively, in verse 5 we're told, answer a fool as his folly deserves. And here's the, here's the trick that, that the New American Standard is trying to translate for us. These two verses, they say the same thing at the very beginning, other than that do not. An, do not answer a fool as his folly, or according to his folly. And then verse 5 says, answer a fool according to his folly. And they say the same thing. But they're implying something different. The first one, that's why they go so that's why they're connected to each other. The first one is that idea I've already said of, of not engaging with them on the same level. But instead to deal with a fool as his folly deserves. If they are speaking foolishness, don't give it equal weight to truth. Do not give foolish ideas the time of day. Instead, treat them as foolish ideas. And this is one of our struggles in America today and within the whole world. There are foolish notions put forth as truth. They are demonstrably false. And we are encouraged as a people to treat them as if they were true. And when you do that, you become a fool. You become just like the fool around you. Instead, we have to answer the fool as his folly deserves. It's the old story of the king or the emperor's new clothes. You know, the, they come in and they fool him and all of his high courtiers that they have this elegant clothing that is unable to be seen by foolish people. And so the king is parading around naked and all of his courtiers are seeing him and saying, or the emperor, excuse me, and the, all, the, all the people and all the nobles are all saying, what, a, what magnificent clothing, what gorgeous clothing. And it takes a child to say, the emperor is walking around naked. He's got nothing on. And then everybody recognizes, yeah, he's right. You know, he doesn't have anything on. They were also afraid of being shown to be foolish because they couldn't see it. They all went along with the idea and they showed themselves to be foolish. But what we need to do instead of answering these ridiculous notions, and you probably can think of quite a few that are in the news today, these ridiculous notions should not be treated with the same weight as other ideas. They should be 
mocked. They should be laughed off the public stage. They should be treated with derision because they are foolish and we are hurting ourselves as a society to give weight, to give glory, to give time of our days to these foolish notions that are put forward. Instead, we need to answer them uh, as, they, as the folly deserves. It needs to be ridiculed. That way, the fool will not be wise in his own eyes. All these people, they feel so wise in their eyes. They know so much more than you or I because we are so foolish to believe the timelessness and the eternal truth of God. But they've got these fads that they just created this year. And we need to adapt to them and adopt them as truth ourselves. No, we should mock them. And mocking doesn't seem right for a Christian, right? And yet, we see that Paul mocked. When the high priest struck him, he said, I didn't realize he was the high priest. He was behaving so strangely. He didn't behave like the high priest. We see it in Elijah when he is standing up against the priest of Baal. He laughs at him and tells him, maybe your God's asleep. Maybe your God is on the potty and you need to get him his attention. I mean, he, he really got pretty vulgar with them in his laughter at the priests of Baal as they were trying to wake their God up that he might answer them with fire. Ridicule isn't against God. God ridicules us all the time. The idea here, though, is that you answer the, the fool as his folly deserves. Do not treat. Now, recognize the human being. Recognize made in the image of God. Recognize that they have value and worth as a child who has been created by God. They do not follow Him, but they have been created in His image. But the crazy notions we should not in, entertain or engage, we should call them out for what they are. Crazy, foolish notions. Taking it as a whole, verses 1-5, through five, giving honor and, and weight and time of day to the ideas of a fool are destructive. And instead, what we need to do, and, and what the focus here is, is the rod for the back of fools, that you would give them... Uh, correction, that you would answer them in a proper way, that we would answer them with, with truth, with correction. And, and that's the idea that Solomon is carrying us through here is, is that we need to confront foolishness with truth. We need to acknowledge that it's foolish. We need to not elevate them and say, oh, you're so wise. Oh, you're Say, you're a fool. And that goes against, again, because you go back to the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus told us, you know, anyone who says to his brother, you fool, is guilty of hell. Well, I, I don't want to call my brother a fool. And so we, we avoid and we push back from calling people a fool, but Proverbs is telling us, no, you need to acknowledge when they are a fool. There's a difference between insulting somebody by calling them a fool when they are not and acknowledging you are a foolish person. You make foolish decisions. Your ideas are foolish. And combat them not with our, our notions, our opinions, but with truth. To speak the truth. To, 
to give correction as we can. And the next group of Proverbs, we're actually going to, they, they are intertwined. Six goes with eight, goes with ten, and then seven goes with nine, goes with eleven. There's this kind of hopscotching that's going on. And so we're going we're gonna to take them by grouping them separately. So we're going to go six, eight, and ten together. Talking about a fool and, and, and dealing with foolish people. Six, eight, and ten deal with the idea of working with fools and hiring fools and employing fools. Verse 6 tells us that he cuts off his own feet and drinks violence who sends a message by the hand of a fool. So you get the, 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 the body part language, hand of the fool, cut off your own feet. But the idea is, is it's self-destructive. The message that you send through the hand of a fool by, the, by their agency it's as if you cut off your own feet. You can't take it. You can't walk. It's, it's pointless. It is, it is self-destructive to send a message by the hand of the fool. You would, you would cut off your own feet. You would even drink violence, which is a, 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 a very radical image, is it not? To drink violence. Because the fool does not take your message appropriately. They don't go the right way. They don't represent you well. It is destructive. Verse 8 says that like one who binds a stone in a sling. Just think about that. Uh, you take a stone, you put it in a sling, the last thing you want to do is bind it up in there because it will never leave the sling. It, you're defeating the purpose of the sling and the stone. But one who binds up a stone in a sling is like one who gives honor to a fool. That same idea from verse 1, that, that it is inappropriate and it is destructive to give honor to a fool. It is destructive to give honor to a fool here as well. You're a person who would do that, somebody who would employ the fool to take a message is, is self-destructive. Here it is, it is pointless. And it is wrong. It, it is... It is against purpose and the nature of life to give honor to a fool in this way. And then finally, in verse 10, we're told, like an archer who wounds everyone, so is he who hires a fool or who hires those who pass by. Now, if you're looking at this with, from like the, the King James Version, you're saying, archer, where did he get that word? Because this is a really weird verse. It, it, it literally is a great one who wounds or causes turmoil everywhere and to everyone, hires a fool or a passerby. Now, the reason why Archer is there and wounds everyone, the, the imagery that a lot of translators have come up with from this, and it's not just the NAS, there's a lot of them that, that do it, and the word that is there for great is, a, is associated with being an Archer in other passages it's the idea of, of somebody who shoots off lots of arrows, a great number. But you're not doing it uh, just purposely to hit this person or that person in a war, but you're just throwing them out scattershot all over the place. Wounds everyone. You know, a great number of arrows just going everywhere. Who wounds a lot of people is, is the idea going on there. But... If we just take it literally, it's really the idea of a great person uh, who hires people. You know, somebody who has authority and power, but who hires a fool 
or who hires just any old person who passes by? Well, when you do that, you wound everyone. You hurt people by that hiring of the fool, by employing them and associating yourself with them, bringing them in. And, and so the idea in all these verses, if, if you hire a, a fool to take a message, if you give honor to a fool, if you hire just a fool or a passerby, you're, you wound people. You, you're self-destructive to yourself. You're destructive to everybody around you. It is pointless to do these things. And so the warning in these verses is that partnering with fools is foolish. It's foolish to, to hire somebody that you know is a fool. It's one thing to say, okay, you can sweep the floor. You know, but what do we have to do? We have to make sure that when we hire a person, we're hiring them equal to what they're able to do. You don't entrust them to take messages. You might entrust them to sweep. Unfortunately, there are people out there, you, you really don't even want to trust them to sweep. They're going to sweep wrong. They're going to mess it up somehow. You wouldn't think they could, but I'm sure there's somebody out there who's going to mess up on the floor. You've got to watch out for them. To, to partner with them and to take it to, to greater levels, we have to be careful about what kind of people are we associating with. Uh, and if we partner with them, if we call upon them, if we engage with them, even though they are fools, and we know that they are fools, that makes us pretty foolish. And, and why is it that we really need to watch out for them? That's answered in the, the um, verses that go along with it. In verse 6, we saw this idea of cutting off your own feet. Verse 7 carries the foot idea, but it says here, like the legs which are useless to the lame. And this isn't... Uh, trying to you know, body shame anybody who doesn't have the use of their legs. It is just clear speech from wisdom from that age. It's looking at a person that says, look, if they have legs but they're lame, those legs are useless to them. In a similar way, a proverb in the mouth of a fool is useless to them. They can have that proverb but they're not going to grow from it. They can have that proverb, but they're not going to learn from it. They can have that proverb, but they're not going to employ it in their lives. It's like, it's like the legs dangling off a person who doesn't have use of them. They're in the way. I remember seeing a story years ago about a young boy who was born, and I don't remember if he was born without the use of his legs or if he had an accident later on, but they, they had videos of him with these leg braces on his feet, and he would try to climb over things. And, and he was like five, and he's climbing the fence, but he's got these leg braces, and he's having to try to, you know, use the braces. And he actually went to his parents and said, I want my legs amputated. I don't even think he knew that word. He just said, I want them cut off. I don't want to have these because they get in my way. And they, they amputated his legs, and he got moving. After that, and he got into all sorts of sports with artificial legs and things. He, he could do better without those legs. They were useless to him. And he got rid of them so that he could move on without them. That's similar to what we are encouraged to do to cast off all that hinders us and press on for the glory of Christ. Well, like legs that were useless to that boy, a proverb in the mouth 
of fools is useless too. Verse 9 tells us, after talking about the one who would bind a stone in a sling, like a thorn that falls into the hand of a drunkard. So is a proverb in the mouth of fools. So, so we're repeating this idea of uh, a proverb in the mouth of a fool, that, that he would know it and speak it and use it. But that proverb is to him like a thorn in the hand of a drunk. Useless. Dangerous. Could hurt himself, could hurt other people around him. The word thorn can be translated as a hook or a, a bush even of, of thorns. The idea is something sharp and pointy. And it's one thing to have something sharp and pointy in your hand if you have your senses. But if you're a drunkard, chances are you're going to hurt yourself or somebody else with that. And that's the idea. It, it is dangerous and it is harmful to him. Finally, in verse 11, we had the one who is great who wounds everyone. Now we have it like a dog that returns to its vomit. What a, what a wonderful picture Solomon gives us. The dog throws up on the floor, and what does it do? It comes back and it'll eat its vomit sometimes. Like a dog that returns to its vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. He doesn't learn. He doesn't grow from it. He's got these proverbs in his mouth, but they're useless to him. They're like, they're like the legs on a lame person. They're like a thorn in the drunkard's hand. And with these proverbs, they can't help him. And when he sees his folly, he's just going to go right back to it. He, he's learned his lesson. He says, oh, I did this and this is what happened to me. But a foolish person doesn't learn. And that's the idea here. A foolish person goes back to their folly. The foolish will not learn from wisdom. You can give them the Proverbs. You can show them the Proverbs. You can teach them. But remember the verse 4 was telling us, uh, do not answer a fool according to his folly. Or, or no, not, verse 5 was, answer him according to his folly that he not be wise in his own eyes. Foolish people are often very wise in their own eyes. You can't convince them that what they are saying is nonsense. You can't convince them that what they are saying is foolish. You can give them the Proverbs, but they're not going to learn from wisdom. The only real difference between a foolish person and a wise person is a wise person was willing to learn from mistakes. Theirs and other people. A wise person is willing to receive instruction from those around him. The fool is not. The fool just keeps going. They just go back to their vomit like a dog. They go back to their folly. And here's the big payoff for this entire passage. Verse 12. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. I love reading this passage through all verses, all 12 verses, because what do you get? A fool, a fool, a fool, a fool, a fool, a fool. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? Oh, well, there's more hope for a fool than for him. We have spent this entire time looking at how dangerous fools are. And yet, there is more hope for a fool. Even though we have said they will not learn from wisdom, there is more hope for them than for a person who is wise in their own eyes. Now, obviously, a person who is wise in their own eyes is probably quite foolish. 
And the warning in verse 5 was there that, you know, answer them, show them the folly, show them the foolishness that they will not be wise in their own eyes. But here's the real danger. You can have some people who are really smart. You have some people who are really clever. And they are wise in their own eyes. They know how smart they are. They know how clever they are. And there is more hope for a fool than for them. This, we can sit there and say, oh, I'm not a fool. We can sit there and say, oh, I listen to wisdom and I grow and I change and I've learned how to not do a lot of things and I've improved. This is what really speaks to us. All the other warnings were about not giving uh, honor to a fool, that we we have to respond to foolishness with truth, that you shouldn't partner with fools. If you do, it makes you a pretty foolish person. And that the evidence is there, even as we struggle and strive to hopefully bring somebody who is foolish around to help them learn, we have to recognize they're probably not going to learn from wisdom. Those have all been external. They've all been pointing the finger at somebody else. But here, this is where we've got to watch for ourselves. Are you a person who's wise in your own eyes? Are you a person who sees the foolishness of all those around you and you're so happy that you're who you are? Watch out. There's more hope for the people we've just been reading about than there is for you. If we are like this. Those who are wise in their own eyes. The idea of of this passage is that we've really got to recognize that we're all fools. I think one of the, the first step of realizing and becoming wise is to first recognize we're fools. We have our own way of thinking about things. We have our own ideas on the world. And they're pretty crackpot. What we need is God's wisdom. The difference between a fool and a wise person is that the wise person is willing to learn. The wise person is willing to receive the outside instruction. The wise person is willing to change and to say, this is what I see, but that is what God says, and I'm going to follow His Word, not my eyes. This last verse, it brings it home for us. We have to watch out if we're wise in our own eyes, if we think we know it all. That's that's a lot of the problem we see in D.C. They all think they know it all. Reminds me of the story of the livestock inspector who went to a farm and the farmer said, well, just don't go into that paddock. And the livestock inspector said, I represent the federal government. I can go wherever I want. I've got this badge. It says I can do these things. You don't tell me where to go. And the farmer says, I'm sorry. The inspector goes around. He's checking all the, the land and he goes into that paddock. And next thing the farmer does hears a scream and a shout, and he sees that inspector running from a bull. And he calls out, Show him your badge! <laughs> we, are, we are plagued with people who are wise in their own eyes. Let's not be them ourselves. Let's be willing to listen no matter how humble the speaker is, if they speak truth, if they speak wisdom, 
Let us not listen to foolishness. Let us not give foolishness equal weight to truth. Let's watch out that we not be wise in our own eyes, but humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Recognize we're foolish in our own way. He is wise. We need His wisdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank You that You speak to us and You intercede in our lives. You tell us that we are foolish. You tell us we are sinners. You tell us we are doing the wrong thing and You show us the right thing to do. We pray, Lord, that we would hear You, that we would respond to You and receive Your words and change our lives because of You. Lord, help us to see ourselves with Your eyes. Not to think that we are so great, not to think that we are so wise, but to recognize we're fools. And You are making us wise. We are not wise in our own ability, in our own thoughts. In fact, we should take every thought captive and check to see are they true. Lord, we pray for our country. We pray for a world that is swimming in false ideas and foolish notions. And we give these foolish notions such weight And we see the the result of such folly in our lives and in our country. Lord, help us to stand strong, to not participate in the foolishness, but to instead answer that folly as it deserves, with ridicule and with truth. That You have spoken, that You have created, that You have acted. People are the way You have created them in no other way. What you have made is the truth. And it is not here by any other cause. Lord, help us to grow in wisdom by seeking you out. By following Jesus and serving him. We pray today in Jesus' name. Amen.